<laughs> Yo, it's asking me, do I want to leave the meeting? Okay, straight away. <laughs> we, got, we got five seconds of good, good, good chat. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the second episode of this special series of the Good Gym Guide podcast. I'm Guy Lockhead, a weightlifting coach working in Bristol. I'm really excited about sharing this conversation with you. I'm talking to Justice Williams and reflecting on how his world-leading work at Fitness for All Bodies can inform our renovation of Bristol Cooperative Gym as we make it more welcoming and adaptable to more people, commonly excluded from fitness spaces. A little update on that. Um, our crowdfunder launched on Monday, and as I record this on Tuesday, we're already past £3,500. We had some really good news the other day that we've qualified for £12,500 in match funding from Sport England and Power to Change, which is amazing. Um, and we need to raise £7,000 to like unlock this. So we're already halfway there. We hope to do this within the first week of the campaign, and we'll have two more days from this episode being released to do that. So please, you can donate and help to share this as, as widely as you can and get full details at bristolcooperativegym.org slash crowdfunder. As far as we know, this sort of gym designed through the collaboration of its users in consultation with architects and experts in accessibility has never been built before, so it feels really important. We want to demonstrate how well it can work. I found this conversation with Justice enormously moving and inspiring. His conception of fitness offers a completely different paradigm from what's commonly presented. He views gyms as one of many potential spaces for community building and fitness as a tool for self-knowledge and reconnection to ourselves and each other. Above all, it's a philosophy rooted in love and in how much there is to gain from dismantling the fitness industrial complex and opening it up to more bodies. By reproducing larger societal power dynamics, the conventional fitness industry diminishes us all by making us want, as Justice describes, something that is not a part of who we are. His vision of an alternative encourages us to acknowledge and recognise what has been taken and work collectively to strengthen ourselves and our communities. The implications of this go far beyond getting fitter. Thanks so much to Justice for talking to me. Um, I'll put links to everything referenced in the show notes you can find at thegoodgymguide.co.uk and I'll come back at the end of our conversation to reflect on things we spoke about. In your work, you identify this concept of the fitness industrial complex. So I thought we could start by defining that, what its characteristics are, how we could recognize it, and why that matters. So uh, the fitness industrial complex, like any industrial complex, really talks about our human connection with the institutions that are a part of fitness, right? These institutions are our gyms, even our wellness spaces, physical therapy, right? And we, we actually move beyond that to understand the connections of those institutions and systems to our larger world, right? And what we want to do with gym spaces, making them more communal, more accessible to everyone in all bodies. 
In order to do that, we have to acknowledge and understand, much like with any issue or aspect in life that is a challenge, what is the root cause of that challenge? What is the initial problem? So we have to define it and acknowledge it. The fitness industrial complex defines and maintains power over our bodies through a lens of privilege. And when we talk about privilege, we talk about the ways that we don't know. It's the unknowingness, right? That is a part of privilege. It is the unknowingness and the thought of that every aspect that we have learned in our lives are our norm, are the, the constructs that we should live within. And it doesn't matter if they don't connect to our overall embodiment of who we are as a person today. These mainstream ideas teach us what it means to be fit and well in our bodies. This is determined by how we understand race, how we understand gender, how we understand our own personal connection and our identity and our relationship to each other, how people see and view our bodies and how that is plugged into these systems. We have to understand that this is connected to ability and body shape, especially when we're thinking about fitness, right? Because fitness supports this idea of what body has the ability to do and what that looks like. So what an athletic body looks like. But also what fitness has done is it has colonized our desires and our ideas around beauty. We have been bamboozled with ideas that we are bombarded with on a daily basis, that this is what beauty looks like. And that separates us from ourselves, our true understanding in the ways that we navigate in our bodies and honor and celebrate our bodies. It turns us into wanting something that is not a part of who we are, if that makes sense. These mainstream ideas reinforce the stereotypes about the identities and bodies of BIPOC individuals, queer and poor communities, and also communities with other abilities and body shapes. Why? Because we've been lied to that that's something that we should not be connected to, that that is not a part of our overall hope, that our bodies, own bodies, have the evolution of change that never meets these ideas of perfection. So we begin to understand the problem. The fitness industrial complex is maintained by private companies. This is the industry of it, right? So we have to talk about capital, right? We have to talk about, you know, what people say we need, but I still don't believe it. I believe that we need each other. I believe that, honestly, you can't truly own something 
unless you die with it. And there is a different idea about thinking about life and our responsibility to this land and our responsibility to each other, right? It's really not to oppress, it's really to acknowledge our connection and our true connection, right? And our responsibility to hold it up you know, to hold up these things in the healthiest ways and understand each other's needs. But the fitness industrial complex doesn't do that. It's maintained by private companies that gain huge profits from diet and fitness culture. And again, we're going to go back to the propaganda that it spreads about what health looks like, what wellness looks like, and the increasing influence of athletic bodies in sports and eliminating our own personal experience to the industry, right? How we truly experience it. So now we understand the problem, right? <laughs> we understand that the problem is actually our inability to have access to exposure, right? Because we've been so boxed into these ideas and norms that don't even function healthy for our own body. We chase them because our society says that this is valuable. So we live in a cult, the culture mentality, where in many ways we're not honoring and illuminating aspects of our true authentic self we're in many ways conforming, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, right? We are conforming. We are finding meaning and value in conforming. And because there's a culture around it, whether it's a healthy culture, right? Cult or not, or, or toxic culture, right? It's still, <laughs> something that is not allowing us to honor and expose ourselves to all of who we are in each other, right? So it's really creating a collective framework where everything becomes a living document as our existence in this space and our connection with each other, right? And there is an agreement of how we all are gonna own this space and how do we agree, but we all give voice to our needs and how that space should feel and look and be driven. And that becomes a communal space that's accessible to the needs of all bodies that participate in its function, right? And then every time we get a new body, we don't think about the challenges that comes with changing the scenery or moving things around. We understand that's a new community member. It just happens. There is no challenge. There is no addition. That's capitalism forcing us to conform. So therefore, we have to think about ways for people to own it. Conversation. We talk to our community. We have to open things up to a larger body so that we could be exposed to learning together. Doesn't matter if it's a gym, right, space, 
or community space. We had to learn how to build agreements together, understand our connection to each other beyond the ideas that we have been bombarded with on a daily basis about our bodies. A strong person understands their true connection to their authentic self by always asking questions, even when it feels good. Because sometimes something that feels good for us doesn't feel good for the next person right next to us. We do this in our houses. We navigate in ways where we both should be comfortable, right? We have a partner. We have a family. That's how we exist in the world, on the basis of love. We are all connected and understanding our needs, right? It, it takes being or letting go or balancing, I like to say, because we do need ego, right? But we don't need a culture that tells us that we are dominant over when that is not true. We need each other. No matter how you view the language of the relationship, the relationship is that we need each other. And that is the highlight that has been taken away from us, that has blinded us, and that has created these layers of privilege and misunderstanding and misinformation. Oh man, there's so much there to explore. Um, I suppose one thing might be around what the role of the coach is in that environment. Like we're imagining a community where the power is diffuse and equal, and that sits awkwardly potentially with a coaching relationship, which typically at least can be hierarchical. Within a more collective, compassionate approach, what might that look like? So again, language is a powerful thing, right? So we all look at ourselves with the language that we have been told to us that is our responsibility. So yeah, I've been told as a coach that it's my responsibility to hold the room, to hold the space, to dictate the program, to dictate the music, to dictate the whole function, right? So I take that away in my work myself, and I'm speaking from my own experience, because we inspire each other to find what works within the communities or the person or because everything is, we have to begin thinking that everything is different. As coaches, we have to understand that we are facilitators, right? Not dictators. It's two different things. And so that means we're in a constant process of first understanding and learning and exposing ourselves to as many tools as possible to acknowledge that even if our community may appear in that, that common framework or cookie cutter model, that is not the truth. So we have to always acknowledge that each body is different. And it begins with how we are connecting with those bodies in spaces. So we let go of that becoming a dictator and understanding what the definition of a facilitator. So we begin to ask questions. Hey, what type of music y'all like? 
oh, I like this, or I like that. Oh, yo, I could put this, my, yo. So now the whole room know that their song, their favorite fucking song is going to come on during this, during this. And then they're also exposed experience of everybody else in that room. You're a facility. You are bringing and pulling people together, right? Helping them to move together comfortably, right? So that means I belong here. It doesn't mean that you created this workout list because it's that simple, right? You'd be like, oh, I want to put all this together. It's so overwhelming. I'm going to use all my favorite songs. So everybody in there, although it may be good music for you, it's not culturally relevant for them. And they may eventually not want to tell you because they're like, oh, it's great. But I, and this is what I hear all the time. So this is not my space, right? That's what you're saying. So it's just simply asking so that we can all own the space. Oh, sometimes trainers, and I, I watch this all the time, they'll write a program and they'll walk into the, with their client and their clients say, no, I don't want to do that. And then you get frustrated. Oh, da, da, da. No, they don't want to do it. We're geniuses. Don't get frustrated. We're creators. Let's accept the challenge. Okay. All right. I'm going to accept that challenge. You don't want to do that. What would feel better for your body? What movement would feel better for you so that I know what I'm going to put in this area for you? Accept the challenge. Have people own. This is how you want them to want to move with you or without you. They just should want to move. We are a facilitator of that process, not a dictator. Trust and believe they will come back if they feel that sense of belonging. Then we lose that business. I want to lose business. I want people to feel like they belong. I'd rather have a community than a business because we own it together. And we just happen to plug in to a capitalist society. But we recognize in this space, we're not going to bring those ideas that separate us, that humiliate us, that shame us, that make us feel separate from our own bodies and achievements. We're going to create what I like to call a cocoon because that cocoon becomes a model. And then we're able to eradicate one person at a time, one gym studio space at a time, then eventually the whole industry. Yeah, there's so much richness there compared to the usual approach, more connection, relationship forming, community building. I wondered if there's something particular about fitness, about exercise and training that you appreciate when doing this work? Because, you know, we could take these ideas to work against the power complexes in loads of other industries. Is there anything in particular about doing this work in fitness that allows for developing that sense of belonging and community? So once I was able to reframe the idea, because language is a tool of the oppressor, I said, right? So I reframe it, right? Once I reframe what actually fitness means to me, and that is my relationship to movement and connectivity within my body, how does that feel, right? The first time I've actually felt like I could trust and be in my body was doing the Turkish get up. That was in my 
I'm going to say I, I first learned the Turkish get up in my early 30s, right? So it took me 30 years to actively feel that sense of connection, right? Trust, understanding to movement in a way that I've never felt before. That is fitness. That connection, truly understanding and honoring the ways that my body moves and feeling empowered in it, not disempowered, not broken, not lied to, that I can. So why I do this work is because we live in a society that really misinforms us about our intention and the ways we should relate to each other. And as an activist is my, my purpose to help people understand, right? What we need to do to keep that sense of belonging because we all have those moments where we're together. Doesn't matter whether it's at a gym, at a bar, in a park, those really solid moments where we're connected to each other in joy. And we feel empowered together, right? It really wasn't about fitness. It really wasn't about the movement. It really wasn't about the beer. I'm going to be honest. It was because we were connecting to each other. We found joy with each other, right? That is what we should be celebrating everywhere we go. Not just in our fitness spaces, but in our home, everywhere. But we always know that that's a little challenge because we have to expose ourselves. We have to unlearn. The hardest part is unlearning because we've been lied to that these are our norms. And they're not. All bodies are different. It's fluid. It's just that what we have been force fed through media whoever had the privilege of teaching us this information, how they taught it to us, and why. We should always ask, what is the intention of the information that we're receiving? Is it truly the same intention of how we want to use it? And it's actually not. We all come in this space because we have purpose to facilitate movement. But because we haven't been taught that we are facilitators, we don't know how to do that, right? There is no model. There is no understanding. There is no information. There's information about how to be dictators all over the place. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, it's going to say, coaches, do this. And then we're broken down in like our first year, right? We're like, oh, this is, answer this up. Oh, uh, that person didn't. Oh, why? Uh, it is like a lot of stumbling, right? <laughs> Doing what we learned from a book or from what one perspective, one person's perspective, it worked for them, right? That's one person. I don't think it's going to work for you because you're a different person. So what we do is we take that perspective and we say, I'm going to put it in my toolkit for when it works for the person that it works for. But I have to continually be, it has to be a daily ritual. And that ritual actively goes beyond movement within our body, but social connection and how we're in relationship 
with each other because that is what takes precedent, not intellectual knowledge, not, oh, we're going to come here because we all know as coaches, we're therapists, you know, we're listening to people's stories, right? We, we wear multiple hats. Notice when you're hanging out with your friend, what do they do? The same thing that your client does, right? You don't acknowledge that you're wearing this therapy hat. You don't go, oh, I'm therapizing. No, because it's in a capitalistic structure. You have a different expectation of connection. Everything costs money. No. And that's why we are unable to see how important our connection to each other is beyond how we're facilitating them. Connection comes first. That's key because it exposes us to so much more. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited to share this conversation. As a final question, I wondered if I could just ask for some words of advice for our members. Our gym has recently moved into its own space for the first time, and it was an office before. So we're going through this collaborative design process to make it feel more like a gym. And we're a cooperative, so we're member owned and run. And we're trying to reflect that in this process, balancing ideas from our members with input from the architects we're working with. So I wanted to ask if you had any advice that you might like to feed into that process as well, besides everything else you've already mentioned. I think that um, putting it all together, if that space is your space, guys, right, then you would kind of dictate what things look like, right? I want this to go here, this to go there. All this looks good to me. What I would say is pull your community in. Have a community party. Pull in the architects. Pull in the members. Invite all the people that live in that area because that is the community that you serve, right? And say, this is a community space that we're going to facilitate movement in. What does that look like for you? Let's all vision together. And own it, because everybody will collectively own that space if that's a true collective, right? Because they've given, they've given to the foundation and the framework. It becomes different. It's not some some place I'm just giving membership to. I actually started it from the ground up. You know, people that start things from the ground up, they be like 99 years old. They be like, oh, I still remember when I started that, da, da, da. You got to be like, yeah, grandpa, you told that shit like 800 times. Yeah, I started it, right? It sits with you for life, right? It's like your baby, it's your seed. It's a powerful thing. Allow purpose within a community to own that space together. Imagine how powerful it becomes. So after chatting with Justice, I pretty much felt like running through a wall. Um, I found it all very inspiring and sort of life-affirming. It's hard to pull out any particular thing to talk about, but as I said at the start, I think for me, it's just so powerful not just to identify with real clarity and sort of specificity the problems in the current kind of dominant model, but also to demonstrate just how much better this alternative could be, how much more opportunity there'd be for connection, 
for exposure to other ways and experiences, for learning, for community building, for pleasure. And it's worth saying as well, if a little bit beside the point, that there is evidence for the power of this approach in the sports psychology literature as well. The model of motivation called self-determination theory, which shows how we're more likely to stick to something if we feel autonomy, belonging, competency, all of which are far more likely in the approach that justice describes than whatever the current approach is, you know. The final thing I wanted to say is we're currently working with Justice and a PT in Birmingham called Becca Kirkpatrick who runs Take the Big Bag and uh, co-runs We Got to Move to bring Justice to the UK in the summer. And this will be the first time he's presented his work outside of the US, so it's really exciting. For now, if you'd like to learn more, he offers loads of different ways of accessing education around the topics we discussed. So please go to fitnessforallbodies.com and you can see the various courses he's written, which you can access in cohorts like Becca and I did, or at your own pace. The next episode, which is out on Monday, I'm going to try and keep this Monday and Friday scheduled throughout the campaign, is with Laura McCafferty from Inclusive Wellness. And we'll be talking about the advantages and potential pitfalls of inclusivity standards in the wellness industries. Thanks so much again to Justice, and thank you for listening.